So guess what? What? I don't know. Dave King Season 2. Welcome back, everybody, to Pair of Kings podcast, where we are bringing you business as usual, Tom Foolery as planned. My name is John Hogeboom, and I am joined by not one, but two other people in the studio tonight. First off, we have my co-host. Saul Thompson. Hey, everybody. Hope you're having a great Thursday. Uh, I hope the reverb in this room isn't that bad, and I hope that <laughs> my mask on my face isn't... Uh, Causing that much muffled speech. You sound good over here, buddy. Perfect. <laughs> so Saul, who do you have with you today? We have our first in-person guest. Yeah, that we do. So this man is uh, my mentor, um, the person that I attribute my love of fashion to, uh, the man who introduced me to a lot of the things. He got me my first job in a clothing store, uh, my senior year of high school. Um, he's become a very, very close friend of mine and he is a lovely person um moving away maybe from the personal anecdote he was the first uh black model on the cover of gq the last, <laughs> and the e- last. even more significant <laughs> <laughs> um and a pioneer in the world of modeling and fashion as a whole um and serves as a style icon even through to today um it is rashid silvera hello hello everyone <laughs> Hey, John. Nice to be with the people I can see and the people I can feel who must be out there in appreciation land. Um, So I'm ready to be as open as possible because I know the questions will be probing and I hope I won't, you know, just sort of put anybody to sleep with any somnolent answers. So we're going to save asking you for your social security number later. Yeah. So you want me to describe the outfit that I'm wearing? Yeah, so we We are a fashion podcast. We are an audio medium, but uh, we do love fashion. Um, We are going to ask you for a fit check. So what do you have on today, Rashid? Well, today, interestingly enough, uh, I realized the night was going to come sooner than I had anticipated. So I like to brighten up the night with some light colors. I'm wearing a French terry cloth uh, Basque blazer. Basque is the company uh, by Mark Andros, who is basically put this company together to deal with um, resort wear as, as it such. So the French terry cloth is comes, you know, it's very, very easy to wear, easy to touch. But he also has decorated it with grosgrain. And I must have every single one of them. So they're different colors of grosgrain. I have the lime green grosgrain on this evening, you know, just to give love to Saul and, and, and you guys. Um, the buttons, of course, are, you know, there's no, there's nothing on this jacket that is left unaddressed. The buttons on the sleeve are working buttons. So a brother can peel it back, you know, in the case of the heat of the wrist gets too, very, you know, too hot, just to reveal, you know, some little homemade jewelry and um, a watch, a little Cartier watch that I threw in the bag <laughs> only because I was perspiring so profusely. <laughs> It was discoloring my band, you know, and these bands are not free, <laughs> okay, <laughs> to go and buy it, and it's almost as much as the watch. Um, I'm also wearing pajama pants, uh, not a tartan, but a true plaid this time, 
and this Ralph Lauren. And, you know, it, it gives you that ease of movement. You know, it's blouson. Uh, there's no uh, girding of the waist. It gives you a freedom, at least, to breathe downstairs as well as upstairs. <laughs> okay? So I like that. Uh, you don't need to know about my undergarments. Uh, I wear them rarely. <laughs> okay? But the understanding here is that it's, style can have the substance of comfort, if you care. On my feet... Okay, John, I hope that, well, I don't know if people can see this. I'm wearing superiors. Okay, superiors are, you know, a, a type of sneaker which has a little mm-hmm. cachet to it. You know, if you are in love with yourself enough you know, <laughs> to care about what people cannot see but what you can feel. I'm wearing superiors, and yes, they are lime green in a fashion to, you know, complement or to marry the lime green grow grain that yes, I have indeed. up here. Uh, the shirt, you know, I used to wear almost exclusively Ralph Lauren purple label uh, polo shirts, but I find that they're very fine and that the fabric is so beautifully made that, you know, I don't feel uh, that I can do just anything I want to do. But the okay. J. Crew, the J. Crew polo has a nice stiff collar where you can pop it if you choose. Okay. <laughs> it, um, and it, you can wash it as often as possible with a Ralph Lauren material. I would have to dry clean. Mm-hmm. Once again, thinking of my budget, you know, <laughs> we want to be fashionable but sensible at the same time. Yes, indeed. Um, I made these beads. I think I got the idea at Scarsdale High School. I used to see folks, you know, with jewelry um, that you know, was homemade. But I have a story about this. You've given me one of those, and I got. I wore. I was wearing it in uh, South Africa. There we go. Um, and people were complimenting it. So, so they were asking me where I got it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I share a lot of stuff with Saul and, and a few other cats. You know, I mean, these guys are in my wardrobe, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm at a. I think I can't remember the, the quite the venue, but it was you know a venue of some consequence, or at least the people there in attendance thought they were of some consequence. <laughs> and this woman sidles up to me, and she looks at my brace, bracelet, and she says to me, and she hits me with it, and she goes, "Harry Winston," you know. Uh, she thought she'd identified some five thousand dollar bracelet on there, <laughs> and I just didn't. You know, I'm not mean spirited enough. What I wanted to say was Michaels in Scarsdale, uh, crap. <laughs> you know, I wanted to say, yeah, this is about 25 cents worth of jewelry. Uh, you know, and but she was so confident that she had, you know, like this entrepreneur, you know, mm-hmm. I know what you know, is Harry, is a baby, you know, it's Michaels, actually. <laughs> but I did not say that. But I love that type of interplay that fashion can create. In other words, sometimes what you wear doesn't keep people in abeyance, but it almost invites people to either give you a look, give you a sound, but some form of recognition that they recognize the effort that it must have taken. Because when you, whatever you are wearing, you share with people more often than you share with yourself. Mm-hmm. Unless you're someone standing in front of the store mirror, just you know, <laughs> just absolutely not getting enough. You know, um, it's really for people. So I hope I haven't. Oh, and my glasses, you know, they're peepers, and I think that well, not these in particular. These must be Morgans from somewhere in Paris or England. But normally I wear glasses with springs on the uh, arms because what we do in terms of poor 
glass carriers. We often pick our glasses up and just you're wearing out the joints and eventually, you know, the glass is going to distend, at least the stems will no, no longer fit on your face. But I have so many glasses, John, <laughs> that I would have to spend the rest of my life doing this. Okay. And I don't think I've worn any pair of glasses more than three times. And there are some glasses I haven't worn at all yet. So, you know, let's just keep it live until I get a chance to get a crack at those glasses. <laughs> okay. Which are oftentimes sympathetic, you know, with... I wouldn't say it's matching. I like to say I'm complimenting. Absolutely. Matching you compliment quite well. Yeah. Okay, let me just chill. <laughs> so, yeah, there concludes possibly the greatest outfit we've had on the podcast. <laughs> Not so even far. possibly. That takes the cake. That's number one. Um, I guess I'll launch into mine. And uh, I was absolutely aware that Rashid was coming on the podcast. Uh, I know how well he dresses. So I've shown up in a Uniqlo Basics white T-shirt. Sweet. No shoes. Sweet. Um, and a pair of Studio D'Artisan uh, Selvage Denim. This is the 40th anniversary um, pair that I got. And I'm still breaking in in the gold colorway. Um, so I'm still trying to get these to not be cardboard on my legs. But <laughs> they'll get there eventually. <laughs> It'll take some time. What about you, John? What do you have on? All right. So starting off from the bottom, we have the infamous pot and stocks. Rashid, this is a pair of Birkenstocks that Love seem to be my, the bees. my good luck charm on this podcast. I've worn them for the vast majority of the episodes we've recorded. On my legs, I have a pair of Levi's 501 jeans. Simple. Uh, they fit me quite well. My long, gangly legs. And <laughs> on top, we have an O'Neill surf t-shirt underneath my sweater, which I've had since eighth grade. It fits me like a glove, and it's thinner than a tissue paper. And finally, we have a garment that makes Saul quite angry. It is a sweater from Blue Blue Japan. It's a nautical indigo sweater with two anchors on it. Saul sent me a link to it. Uh, I thought that link was so I could buy it, but in reality it was because he wanted to buy it. So I put a bid in. It was accepted within five minutes. I told Saul he was not very happy. Oh. I'm happy that somebody has it at the end of the day. It's between one of us. Yeah, yeah. If you ever need to borrow it, you know, get on the waiting <laughs> list, I'd be happy to get to you eventually. Absolutely. So, yeah, that concludes possibly the greatest fit check segment carried by and large by Rashid. Um, no, no. I have a question for John. The O'Neills, do you have the surfboard as well? I mean, just how much of that equipment do you have? I only have the t-shirt i do a little bit of paddle boarding oh, okay. uh, aside from that my my nautical hobby is scuba diving <laughs> i've been a certified scuba diver since i was 12 so oh, cool. i grew up right by lake michigan so i've been involved in water pretty beautiful. much my entire life yes, beautiful indeed. well thank well you okay thank John. you very much okay. yeah john you want to take us into the uh Meat and potatoes section. I would love to. All right, Rashid. I believe we have 12 questions for you this evening. Uh, starting right off from the top, how did you get your start in the world of fashion? Well, interestingly enough, uh, in about, I was married uh, in 1979 uh, to uh, a supermodel. 
uh, a woman whose name is Alva Chin. Uh, she was one of the Halstonettes at that point in the 70s. Halston, uh, Givenchy, um, Oscar de la Renta. There were a few designers who were just making their marks. And I married uh, a beautiful woman who was one of those you know, style icons. At that time, to call those few girls supermodels would have been redundant. There were so few women working at that level that they... It was eponymic. You would say their names and you would understand who they were. Mm -hmm. So I think the exposure of being in that environment gave people the opportunity to see that I was rather, I wasn't monochromatic. I mean, you know, the lots of the girlfriends of the guys were more frames for their women. And it seemed as though the way I was dressing, my wife and I seemed to be a pair of people who just cared about more than just being there. We wanted to be there with some light. So I think certain photographers got a look at me before I was actually a model okay. and used their creative insight, or at least their, you know, the notion of what could happen. So eventually what does go down is there's a designer whose name was Mary Jane Marcassiano. And uh, she thought that I should pose with Alva, with my wife, Alva Chin, C-H-I-N-N, uh, -N, take some pictures with her clothing. And what she realized and what I realized is that I felt there was such hand-meeting glove for me that I didn't seem to be, I didn't appear to be posing at all. I was actually, I was engaging the camera as if I were a professional model. Only because I felt well, <laughs> because I felt so comfortable with my wife, you know, sure. with and she felt comfortable with me, so that we had confidence in one another that we were going to give the fashion shoot, you know, we were going to present the clothes in a way that you know would create conversation, would be create interest. So that was that's some of my first fashion shooting. Eventually, my uh, wife and I, you know, we. We uh, we separate uh, mm -hmm. amicably, and uh, by that time I had been so marinated in the fashion world that uh, I think photographers began to uh, approach me outside of approaching us. It wasn't Alva and Rashid. And the next thing I know, how can I put this nicely? I want to put it accurately and nicely. <laughs> okay, um, I. I think I was, uh, I know exactly what the truth is. I was out at a friend's house whose name is Eddie Bianchi. Eddie Bianchi is a famous commercial director. Okay, okay. Eddie Bianchi, if you were to Google that, believe me, you would be tired by the time you got through <laughs> half of it in terms of all the creative things that he has done that you would recognize. He's a very close personal friend, he and his wife. And I was out at their house in Water Island which is between uh, the Pines and Davis Park on that spit of land. And I'm out there playing uh, Kadima. I don't even know if I'm saying it correctly, but it, it's almost like playing um, uh, 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 that game uh, volleyball without a net, okay? okay. I, was, I was out there, we were playing it, but I didn't have any clothing on and neither did my girlfriend, okay? So we were playing this game, you know, au naturel. And I think we were just playing and we didn't happen to be a ball involved. Okay. 
And so we were doing all of this. Well, what happened was right next door to, uh, to Eddie, Perry Ellis, that was Perry Ellis's house. Now, Perry okay. Ellis at that time was a designer, a beautiful man, both inside and out. And I think his, I don't know whether it was his boyfriend or his partner, but his very close friend, Zoltan Brandizi, was, uh, Brandizi, I think, was staying there. Now, Zoltan owned a fashion agency, a modeling agency called Zoli, which it was Ford, Zoli, and Wilhelmina. You know, I mean, it was yeah. Zoli was and Zoli was where Jack Nicholson and, and Warren Beatty, a lot of these cats hung in. They liked the type of women, shall we say, <laughs> okay, that were involved. And my ex-wife was also, well, she was, yeah, she was with Zoli as well. Okay. She would eventually go to Ford. Anyway, here's the story. Eddie gets a telephone call from next door. And the telephone call is, who is the guy? out there on the beat. This is, I don't know whether it was Zoli or Perry. Who is the guy? Well, Perry's pretty much unto him. I mean, he's very, he was, he's since passed. But he was, a, it was a, I don't think it was Perry, but one of them said, who's the guy out there on the beach, you know? And I think as the conversation between Eddie and them uh, evolved, I think one of them said, oh, you know, he could be a model. Now, here's the joke. I'm buck naked. Okay. <laughs> so I don't know which part of my moving form was the form that they had imagined clothing, draping. You know, I mean, oh, I love the way he wears his skin. <laughs> I love the way he wears, you know, that scarf. You know, there wasn't a trapping. So Eddie realized uh, it was a hit. Okay. And what was so cute about it, so Eddie says to me, you know, the guy, I come back here. Through the house, and then he says, "I got a telephone call." The guys next door want to meet you. I said, "What guys next door?" He says, "Oh, you know." He doesn't give them name at this moment, okay? And he says, oh, "They just want to meet you, and this and that." And and he said, "They they, they like the way you were pl playing on those." Things. And we're he's playing with me. We're very close friends, so we can you know we're playing like that. Right. Uh, I think they like the way you move, okay? So I said to him, and I with you know. I mean, I don't have these problems. And he said, I said, did you bother to tell them that I'm not gay? Um, and he said, why would I have done that? So, because what was, it was so beautiful. They, I'll give you the rest of the story later. So he <laughs> says, they think uh, you, they would like to meet you. Okay. And I said, well, that's when I said, well, Eddie. He saw me out there with a girl. He said, well, that, that means nothing. And I thought to myself, you know, it does mean nothing. It means absolutely nothing. <laughs> so eventually, uh, Eddie says, you know, you need to call these guys. And he, I think he does tell me who Zoe is and, and maybe pray. He does reveal it. I give them a call. I give Zoe a call. I go in. It's paused. Uh, I go into the agency I love these guys immediately. You know, we just fall into a type of beshared. Oh, you don't know what that is. But we fall into a type of divine connection. You know, we just like what, you know, we just like one another. And uh, I, I start to sign up with Zoe. I, I, I become a model, right? Well, normally speaking, when you're on the board as a new person, it does take a while for you to get your face out there so the clients can match your face with a place, with a purpose, you know, with an outfit, et cetera. 
It wasn't too long before I get a call, and the call is from the late Rico Pullman. Rico Pullman's iconic fat German brother, iconic fashion photographer who since passed away. As a matter of fact, he passed away on a TW on that crash. There was a TW plane that crashed after takeoff from oh, wow. from JFK. Uh, R I C O Pullman P H U L M A N. It might be two N's, but Rico Pullman. I get a call, and he said, "Listen, um, I'm going to take some pictures." He takes these pictures. I go to the studio. We do all this stuff. And now, cut to, I'm in Scarsdale High School teaching. This is 1983. Are you, are you even born yet? Yeah, you, you, oh, you, you weren't born yet either, were you, John? I was not. I'm <laughs> this is so, oh, this is touching my heart. Don't, make, don't get me to start crying. Okay. So it's 1983, and I'm teaching. I've been at Scarsdale two years. Okay, I came in 81. And then we have phones in the classroom. I get a call. And the caller said, this is uh, Condé Nast calling. Uh, we'd like wow. to speak to Rashid. Uh, is this Rashid? And I'm thinking, I pick up the phone and I hang it up. I think, which <laughs> one of my friends? Okay, I mean, okay, this is not even funny. I'm teaching. Okay, but you answer the phone because it could be the general office. That It could be anybody of serious consequence wanting you to do sure. some responsibility. The phone rings again. Same lament. Is this Rashid? This, this is Condé Nast, and we want to click. The next thing I know, maybe 10 minutes, there's a knock on the, on the classroom door, and it's the secretary. It's the head secretary. She said, Rashid, these people keep calling. You either need to pick up the phone, and I'm stopping class. <laughs> you need to pick up the phone or come down to the office. And these people are calling. They said they're from Condé Nast. They're calling from GQ. And, uh, well, GQ was a subset of Condé Nast. So mm -hmm. I think class is, oh, whatever happened, I end up on the phone. And this is how the conversation is going. Hello, is this Rashid? He said, well, yeah. he said, well, this is John Shaheen. I am uh, the such and such a GQ. I'm either the producer or the, and we wanted to get the correct spelling of your name. You know, we wanted to make sure, and I, I'm in complete honest wonder, the, the correct, dude, you mean you are calling me at school <laughs> to get the correct spelling of my name? Is this, you know, Okay, are we going on a date? I mean, like, you know what I'm saying? Why do you need to have such certitude, such accuracy in terms of, you know, my appellation? Well, he says, will you please spell it for me? And so I said, listen, is this John Shaheen? Why? He said, well, you're going to be on the cover of GQ. You're going to be on our cover for April. And dude, look at me. I mean, I even have goosebumps now just saying Oh, my saying goodness. That. And we need to get the correct spell. Now, there's nothing in my belief system, and I'm a creative cat, that sure. could have projected any pictures that I had taken, maybe inside a magazine, you know, maybe, you know, a birthday card. <laughs> you know, but I, so he says, well, you need to come down 
to uh, Madison Avenue. I, I was five. Whatever the address was, I'm surprised I've forgotten it because it was such a you know, <laughs> such a major point in my life. I go down, and I don't get frightened often, and that's because I have a good. Uh, um, a good cover system. You know, I, I never appear to be as unnerved as I might be, you know, because I you have know, good coding. <laughs> okay. Well, I get out of the elevator and I literally cannot remember taking the steps that got me in the office. Why? Because everywhere on the walls, about maybe almost four feet tall, was my picture. On the, whenever you're on the cover of, as I learned, whenever you're on the cover of GQ, they festoon the walls, all of the walls, or they did back in 83, with giant pictures of the cover. Oh, my goodness. Like I said, I had never seen so many likenesses of myself. It was almost <laughs> as if... It was someone I knew. That guy looked so damn familiar. Okay, I know him. Okay, I, I, and he's going to be on the cover of GQ. This is great. I can tell my friends. I know this guy. Okay. And I go in. I meet these dudes. They're all one is more wonderful than the next. So no matter what I had done prior to that, and I must have done some shoots, of, you know, of, that were interesting of some consequence. Once you, in those days, once you reach the cover of GQ, you know that the bargaining position changes. Mm -hmm. It sure. goes from you being eager to get anything that may smell or have a taste of dollars and cents, <laughs> you know, to um, I'm not going to do this because I don't want to present myself with this particular client or this particular product. You have the nerve, the gall, the very temerity to now say, well, I, well, I won't, <laughs> okay? Because you've, you're on that cover and these people are no, they just want that exposure. So I think, and I'm trying to get this straight, it became even more important as I was later find out because GQ was contemplating changing their format from models on the cover to celebrities. Oh. So I became the penultimate. I was the last, I was the second to last model. The last model was a, one of my cats, John Somi, this blonde cat, went to UVA, lacrosse player, a sweetheart. Do you hear me? Just, just, just a good human being. Yeah. And um, we, neither one of, well, he didn't know he was going to be the last person, the last model on the cover. I didn't know. Uh, I was going to be the last black, well, there were only, I think, three black people before me. I mean, what's new, okay? Uh, I didn't know I was going to be, and you know, quite, I never considered myself a black model. I considered myself a model who was huge, who part of what I could give them was, you know, something that may go with their clothing. You know, it just, it's, sure. it's a color scheme. It's all, you know, color schemes. So it was like, oh, I'm a black, you're doing me a favor. You know, maybe it's not me as a person, but I don't think, I can't speak for the other models, but they did not appear to me to be just so happy to do anything. You know, at least the top models who were working, who happened to be brown or not all of us were the same shade of brown. You know, sure. which is, yeah. you know, which, which is 
such an acceptable uh, accoutrement or in fashion. I mean, fashion is a lot, in many ways, a lot farther forward <laughs> than some other branches of business. I'll just put it that way. Okay? <laughs> I'll just leave that alone. Anyway, so at, at, at what happens is, I guess, I'm trying to get this job. I cannot recall if you guys could check. I was on the cover April 83. Okay, the next month is obviously is April, May. Does that sound mm -hmm. correct? So whoever, mm -hmm. find out. Uh, you could even do it now, John. Who is on the cover of June 1983? It is, it's got to be um, some actor, some celebrity, some, and I'm not being coy now. I genuinely don't know. Let's see. Mel Gibson. There you go. There yeah. you go. Who, 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 who at that time, I know you guys are too young, you don't, at that time, he was, he was the, sh the stuff. Mm -hmm. Now, sure. but few people knew this, the Mel Gibson story. They thought Mel Gibson was from Australia. Mel Gibson grew up initially in Peekskill. In Pe oh, you don't oh God, Peekskill, New York. Peekskill, New York. Is. Okay, and is it in Westchester? It's just north. It, it, it's, it, it's not technically. I think. It's okay, it's down. north of here. Yeah. and then far goes, from Australia, though. Yeah, and then <laughs> go, <laughs> and then goes to Australia and gets his Aussie. You know, he gets his Aussie on, right? Sure. He's got that. <laughs> And he is, I think what I'm trying to say is that was not a step down for GQ, that whoever made that decision, they must have been high-fiving because Mel Gibson on the cover. He was like, okay, that, that's good, you know, <laughs> and we're good. Then that'd be another model as Mel Gibson, cool, <laughs> okay. And, but for me, it made me feel so good because in a way, I was in the same league. You know, and I and and John Somi and and the other cats on the cover, you know, who preceded me, it didn't diminish our status. Sure, it's it just sort of said, yeah, man, look at that. We're part of history because we're we're the last cats. Mm -hmm. We're the Absolutely. last. Absolutely. And now here come and one cool guy. Like honestly, John, I did not know it was Mel Gibson, but it made me feel so good. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> okay. And I think it kept. They kept on hitting it like that. You know, mm -hmm. it was Mel. It was. It was. And you know, it was like, yeah, man, tune it up. So um, that's why when people mistakenly think because when my cover came out, it was so. It was a violation of expectation in certain ways. So people tended to think it was the first time mm. that a brother, what had happened was it was the first time a brother was on there alone. Okay. There, I think there had been uh, two handsome brothers. I mean, I think Reynold White was one, and I'm embarrassed I can't remember the other person because he must have, but they were you with. Won't tell him. <laughs> <laughs> they were with women who were equally as handsome and they were presenting that. So I, you know, I don't need to do this, but in just in the service of accuracy, I believe I was the first uh, person of color on there by himself. Wow. You know, which made people believe. Now I see how people might have become seduced into thinking I was the first. Mm -hmm. do, do you know, I mean, that, that's an honest Absolutely. mistake. Because it was such a departure, and the picture was so, damn, you know, I guess 
the page and then your head, you know, okay. Um, luckily for me, now we all have reasonable vanity and I'm a member of that club as well. So it was just lucky for me that I liked the picture because it was me, it was a soft picture. It was, I mean, I might not have even looked like a model, but I looked like someone you would like. It's you, a great you know? picture. Yes. I, I, I was yeah. just as like, hey, it was just like, hey guys, you know, this is, I'm not trying to say, don't you wish you were me? You know, I'm almost saying, don't I wish I knew you? You know, it was, it was the whole flip, flip thing. But this is Rico Pullman's genius. Because who knows how many pictures he took of me. Mm -hmm. And he and John Shaheen and the other cats. Oh, I wish I could remember their names because they're such beautiful people who treated me so beautifully. Uh, they made the decision on the picture. So I, I'm sure I, there must have been other attitudes you know, that they could have chosen, that, that, that they could, but they didn't. So what happened is that people began to realize, oh my God, this guy is not 25 years old. This guy's 35 years old. So <laughs> another thing that happened is that I was in league with, I was easily 10 years older than the oldest of them and 20 years older than the youngest of them. You know, the models who were in their teams, right? God, I, but, and the, and my, but my contemporaries. So what I think happened, it may have opened the door for people to say, and, and, the, and my contemporary models loved it because it really meant they might be working longer because now the fashion industry was saying, actually, a guy who's 35 years old might be more equipped to buy the clothing mm, that we're presenting. Do you know what I'm saying, John? Then sure, a yeah. year old. So it gave the clothing and some credibility. And interestingly enough, I started being paired with women, well, my ex-wife, but Iman. Because Iman's thing, uh, this is before David Bowie, you know, Iman was very completely handsome, but also very, very aware of who she might be paired with. Mm -hmm. She wanted to be paired with someone who looked like they could actually be her partner. You know, not a young boy. <laughs> I mean, someone who looked as though he had lived long enough to appreciate her beauty. You know, and not someone who was trying to be in the picture, but someone who was very, very satisfied with being the frame. You know, I am the frame where in which she can. So the women I. I got a lot of requests because women didn't mind. Matter of fact, some of them may have even preferred to work with me. But I have a job. I'm a teacher at Scarsdale <laughs> High School. Okay, I just can't, I mean, I'm just not available. But what I didn't realize, and you guys probably realize this to this day, that in show business, and I just say modeling is show business because we're showing, you know, mm -hmm. in the business of showing, uh, designs and lines and colors and attitudes and you know, coordinations. I didn't realize this, but once again, I tripped and fell into, you know, in, into, into a fertile soil that because I was unavailable, I mean, genuinely unavailable, <laughs> the attitude of want was increased. I became 
more, uh, shall we say, in pursuit when you're not available. I, as I realized, people are like, well, when are you available? And is it a matter of money? So my agency, of course, <laughs> I mean, these people are in the business of making money. Not only was I not available. <laughs> okay, so here's the deal. Can't believe I'm even telling you this. At a certain point, we're having these meetings, and uh, it's about my rate, okay? Mm -hmm. And I have the nerve. They say, well, what do you, you know about your rate? So I say to them, who is making the most money right now as a top model? Google Matt Norkland, if you can. Oh. So they said, well, Matt, Matt is about 6'6", six, six, uh, Matt no, handsome. I said, and how much is he making? I think something like, well, $700 an hour. And I said, well, that, that'll be my rate. <laughs> <laughs> See what you come up with, Matt Norkland. I uh, found him, yes. You got him? Yep. You, you are amazing on that machine. <laughs> Thank you. He is a model, correct? He is, yes. Yeah, was. was. A, a bigger, yeah. I don't know what it says about him, but at that time, he was the man. He was the man, at least they were willing to pay, you know. I mean, there were other cats who were just as cool, but, you know, it's, it's whim. And so I said, well, what is, what is Matt making? <laughs> and I said, well, that's what I'll be making. <laughs> and I guess I said it with such... You know, insouciance. It was like, you know, no big deal. You know, like, hey, you know, he's making that, I'm making that. You know, it'll be the two of us then. Okay. <laughs> so, and coupled with the fact that I'm not available, it's <laughs> ludicrous that, you know, I would have. Uh, but sometimes ignorance is bliss. Do you know what I mean? You, I mean, I was so ignorant <laughs> that I didn't appear to be putting on. <laughs> it was just like just pure ignorance, okay, and happiness. So that, and so I would literally, after school sometime, I'd get a limousine, but my, my, I couldn't let my students know this immediately. But I'm living in a, I'm teaching in a savvy community. Do you hear me? I mean, mm -hmm. my, stu my students' parents, we're in the same rhythm section. These cats are not walking around with blinders on. These cats are in the world. And when I say in the world, I'm talking about Ulaanbaatar uh, from, to uh, Gullfoss in Iceland, you know, to, uh, to Saint-Tropez, to Cape of Good Hope. I mean, these cats are around. So some of these cats begin to say, wait a minute, <laughs> this cat, well, especially after the first couple of parent nights, you know, parent night, the parents come in, they go, my man, my man. Yeah, we get it. It's cool. <laughs> okay, we get it. And they folded that into an extension of credibility that I could give their students. I wasn't just talking about the world. You know, I'm very enthusiastic, as you could tell. And I could, hopefully, I could have gotten their attention with the honesty of my, you know, the majesty of my enthusiasm. But the fact that I was actually living in this fast world gave me I could actually be still longer what it did for me it allowed me to become a teacher student and let my students become student teachers in other words I didn't have to be the one running the show running the class all the time okay because um, they almost wanted to tell me what was on their minds. 
you know, because they mm -hmm. wanted us to know one another. And rarely do you want to know your teacher. Teachers oftentimes want to know their students, mm -hmm. you know, because they want to find ways you know, to architect information so that they can, you know, can have some adhesive, it can last long. But there was this reciprocity that did. I fell in love, not only with my students, but with their parents. You know, I just wanted to know where they came from. So even though I had another job that pulled me away, I spent abnormal hours, amount of hours with my students in and out of the classroom, you know, because I was energized. I was good and tired, not just exhausted. I would be with them and get energized, you know, because when you're young as, as well as you guys are, you guys have a type of enthusiasm that's infectious. And I just caught the bug, 37 years worth, you know, of the bug at, uh, at this Carsdale High School. So I, I'm leading into something because there was one more first of consequence. And I say this with, I mean, I just got off the phone earlier today with these people because I'm going to be doing something with them again in terms of whatever, think tanking or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I became the first brown person to do a Ralph Lauren, to do yes. a Ralph Lauren piece. Mm -hmm. This comes out in the New York Times Magazine section, I think it's Sunday, and it's not one page. One page is my... I'm sitting in a grand chair, just insisting it, and just like to the manner born. Uh, and the other page is just a big black page, and it says Polo. So it's, uh, you know, you open it, and there it is. That was history making. Now, once again, it's Scarsdale High School that has, that's my, my sensei, my, my, my guide. Ralph Lauren had been getting us some criticism about not having black people in his ads. This is Ralph Lauren. This is this is this is this is this is a Jewish brother from the from the BX, you know. <laughs> this, but he's selling a lifestyle that's really sort of a waspy, you know, yes. polo-oriented lifestyle. In English, you know, all of that, ponies, etc. So he actually gets a woman. Her name is Aria. Now, I've not done this, John, and maybe you guys can. The, the, the first black woman to do a route, she did this ad. And I think there was a story in Time magazine about Ralph finally, you know, getting a black person. And she was brown as you can be, beautiful, with short cropped hair. So it wasn't like she was a brown, a, a sanguine black woman with, with Caucasian features, whatever that is, you know, she was Aria, a model, okay, just beautiful. But don't you know the way things are? Okay, yeah, you have a woman who's the man. You know, it's, can you can you wait a couple of beats and give this cat some credit? You know, did you mind just for a second before you guys rush to the, you know? Okay, so internally that was going now i did not know that internally people were trying to how are we going to do this and never mind who's going to be the model how are we going to do this scarsdale high school ralph's one of ralph's main secretaries at that time was a woman named joe ansia 
CEA. And she had two children at Scarsdale High School, Dina and Darren Eboli, E-B-O-L-I. And in the midst of all this, you know, it's just, I mean, in the midst of all this, I think she went into Ralph. I mean, don't forget, they have people making these decisions and they're not secretaries. Secretaries are important and indispensable in every other way, but they're not making talent. She goes in and tells, I think she must have told Jerry Ralph's brother and Ralph and these people, oh, I got the guy. He's already the guy. And they just looked, he said, I got him. You don't have to do a damn thing to him. I got him. And they said, well, he's my son's teacher. <laughs> Make a long story short. I go in and I meet Ralph. Now, Ralph has just had a brain operation of some sort. And I didn't realize how little he was. He's just a little and handsome, you know. But I, I go in. And this is why I fell in love with this dude immediately. I go in, I'm wearing jeans, I'm maybe wearing regions, bass regions, with some tape around them. Talking John's language, he loves bass regions. Love okay. regions. Uh, and I'm wearing jeans, a, a, a polo with a polo cup, but I'm wearing an arm. At that point, Armani was like, ooh la la. I'm wearing a black label crepe blue blazer. It's crepe. And, you know, it, it, it's, you know, with, with lapels, with the point, you know, uh, peak lapel. Um, and it's just, I'm going to see this cat. This is my phone love. He comes over to me and he, he touches, you know, the crepe. He touches the, he looks at me. He says, who, some, I can't, I wish I could remember exactly because it was almost poetic. But what he was saying is, who put you together? How did you get to be, how, who are, how did you get to be this? Okay. And here he is being so vulnerable and open and honest. And, you know, he's a creative artist. Mm -hmm. He is not putting on like, well, sitting behind his big, beautiful desk. But he's just, and then he says to me something. He probably doesn't remember this, but I will never be able to forget it. He said, you're going to be my Cary Grant. And little did he know that that's one of my, that was one of my style icons. Okay, Archibald McLeish, I don't know what his real name is. You know, Archie is, you know, the, you do, his real name is not Cary Grant. I didn't know that, actually. Uh, his, uh, help me, Google it. It's either Archibald McLeish or Archie Leach. And I was such a Cary Grant fan that when he said that man, do we have it yet? It is Archibald Leach. Yeah, okay. So, it's you know, when he said that to me, I just... We, we, we just flowed into one another. And then he got this cat named Bruce Weber, who at that time was... And I, he did this polo stuff. Iconic, iconic photographer. And, uh, you know, I go in and I'm just doing all... And I remember them saying, leave him alone. Just let him, let, just let him do what he's going to do. They wanted me to wear the suit, you know, and the, and the tie. So just leave him alone. Let him tie his tie. <laughs> you know, let him, because actually I'm already that guy. <laughs> you know, so I took the picture and that was the picture of the first, you know. And once again, outside the GQ cover, which happened a while, you know, uh, it all seems to be oriented around Scarsdale High School or teaching or in some way me, people 
choosing me when I'm not trying to be chosen. Sure. You know, because let me tell you something. If I had gone to a shoot for a, for a, a Ralph Lauren ad, I would have been trying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. I'd have been like trying <laughs> to Ralph a movie. Here. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because I'm a human being and I get how the opportunity was the opportunity of a lifetime. Mm-hmm. So I think for me, the modeling piece became less a money pursuit than pursuit of moments, you know, special moments that were captured. And most of the capturing presented me as a cat. So the guys I grew up with could feel proud because go, yeah, that's, that's my man. You know, that's the same cat. Matter of fact, the biggest compliment these cats used to pay me when I go back to Boston or when I hear about it, I say, yeah, Rashid is the same cat. It doesn't get any better than folks you're growing up with who have gone in so many different directions. And many of the directions were not as public and perhaps is not full of pleasure. You know, some of the directions were dappled with pain. Cats have gone in different directions. But if I walked a corner, or if I went to a place and I, I saw a cat, if I'm in Boston, I saw a cat on the corner that I recognized who didn't look like he was doing too well, I just couldn't help my, I would stop, I would stop and make, I would help this cat make my day. <laughs> you know, by the time I got through with it, I wanted him to feel like the celebrity. Do, do you know what I'm saying? I wanted him to feel something more full. So I think um, I may have been chosen. Don't forget, I started out at 35 years old. Most people are through with the modeling at 35. So there must have been a reason, you know, for, um, for me to be less full of myself, but more concerned with filling up other people with possibility, with creativity, you know, um, with just seeing the fashion industry. I mean, it's art. It, it, it's, it's art. It's no joke. It is. There are cats who are doing canvases, all of the great ones. And just, man, uh, these cats, uh, I mean, Coco Chanel, all, he, he, all these great designers were, were friends with the art. I mean, they were artists. So, and if you ever see some of the sketches of these, you know, of, of clothing before it actually, you know, takes stitches and forms, you're like, dude, I would just take that sketch and put it in a frame. It's art. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I mean, is. Enough. Okay. You've done enough. I'll, I'll, I'll take the sketch, <laughs> you know? Uh, and so in, to make a longer story, even longer, I think John, that one of the reasons why I feel or have felt comfortable is that even as I, I had Jamaican grandparents and, and whatnot. So it was always a more English thing. So I was even, that's why I sent you those photographs of when I was little, you know, I'm wearing herringbone. I'm, I'm in the fifth grade, <laughs> you know, wearing a, a, a tie, a tartan tie with a herringbone, you know, but it was, it was British because West Indians and Jamaican, they're, fashion sense because of the of the being colonized mm-hmm. I, mean, I would imagine people in haiti had a more french sensibility 
you know, or, or Martinique or Montserrat, you know. Um, so that it was natural, and I always saw my grandfather and my aunts, they, they were always dressed, not dr dressed to impress, but just dressed because they wanted to be whole. You know, they, my grandfather used to wear a tie all the time. So, dude, for me, I would, I would have been partially clothed because I'm, I'm trying to copy my grandfather, okay? And then it got to the point where my uncle was hand-tying bow ties. So, of course, one of the, I was one of probably the only cat, little cat, who was, wasn't wearing a clip-on bow tie. <laughs> but uh, it's not a criticism, but, you know, they were just trying to present and represent, you know? Uh, just Absolutely. Like, tie that shit up, you know, like the way it's supposed to be. That's called a cravat. <laughs> anyway, um, so, none... I had a I had an abnormal appreciation for nature, and and the nurture that fashion could create. Yeah. You know, I think that oftentimes um, fashion brings out the best in a person. You know, it, I agree. It, yeah. In my head, in my humble opinion, my. I have been seeing fashion or people who are fashionable doing too much harm <laughs> to mankind. Quite the opposite. I know you guys have other questions. I'm sorry. I, 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 I took Don't a be sorry. roller coaster, man. Damn. Uh, good questions get involved answers. I just, just it's, on, it's on you guys. <laughs> Forgot to have my beverage. My goodness, that was an amazing, amazing answer. Yeah. I was more focused than I've ever been on this podcast listening to that. God bless you, Chuck. So you have another question? Right? We, we definitely do. So you've talked a little bit about where you got your first kind of sensibility of fashion from, from your grandparents, mm -hmm. um, these Jamaican roots. Mm -hmm. um, would you take us through kind of your personal style now, but also how it's kind of evolved through the years? Mm -hmm. Well, there is God, another freaking excellent question. <laughs> There's a poem that I like to intone. It's by T.S. Eliot. It comes out of Little Gidding. I believe it's the fourth quartet. And he says, cease not from exploration. And at the end of your exploring, return to where you started and know that place for the first time. So I started. I was marinated without truly knowing it in the sensibility of caring about what you were wearing. Do you, do you feel? And not to the point where you became the clothing, but it's more of a harmony that, you know, the clothing wasn't in charge. I mean, you were in charge, but it was harmony to it. And as I went on that journey, I realized that fashion had almost nothing to do with how wealthy the person was because I came to believe that the less money a person had, the more creative they became with mm -hmm. what they owned. Do, do you know what I mean? This is me. Absolutely. You know, and almost, by the time I got to prep school, it was almost as if you, you want to wear clothing with holes in it. You wanted to wear shoes. You wanted to let, you know, you didn't want to, you were almost trying to straight arm your money. You know, you, 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 you come from a financial circumstance, but you didn't want to yell that out. 
you know, so you catch you know, folks with you know, patches. I should have patches and you no socks. <laughs> you know what I mean? And your tie was askew. You know, you it wasn't, you know, you it was a devil may care. <laughs> you throw your tie. You spent more time, well, not, well, I guess I did too, more time trying to act as if you didn't spend time <laughs> <laughs> organizing your outfit. You know, like, oh yeah, oh yeah, I just came out of my way to class. <laughs> you know, like, please. <laughs> okay. So as I went along that road, I saw how different people of financial consequence and, you know, global consequence managed what they wore. And I, I always had my eye out for what women were wearing. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, as my friends refer to me now, he said, oh, Rashid's a flaming heterosexual. You know, because, man, I liked man. You know, women, they don't play. You know, when they're wearing stuff, and I'm like, yeah, man, I want some of that attitude. So I would, and I was always willing to cross the line with a scarf, you know, or being particularly colorful, you know, at a, you know, but making it work. Now, once again, I'm not sure I was as mindful of what I was doing as I'm explaining now. I think I had such great friends growing up. I mean, obviously I was a different type of cat, you know, but these cats gave me room, man. You know, so I would do stuff and they would be more apt to say, oh, that's cool, or feel that's cool, than say, what are you doing? You know, I can't even remember a what are you doing moment, mm-hmm. you know, where cats are going. I would, I more remember cats doing like a week later, <laughs> something two weeks later, you know, doing some, doing some stuff like, oh, yeah, yeah, to myself. Yeah, yeah, I got it. <laughs> and I played football. I cared as much about my uniform as an athlete. <laughs> Do you hear me? I was always that athlete who was tight. You know, when cats wanted to come and take a picture, <laughs> I just had my uniform uh, wearing Rydell cleats. My, you know. And someone said one of the reasons why you became so good as a football player was you never wanted anybody to tackle you. <laughs> and you know... That was so true, I couldn't even respond to that. <laughs> I don't know whether it was a newspaper person who would come and said that, or my coach. I think they may have, they were trying to interview my coach about his team. I said, well, what about that cat? What about just, but, and you know, your wide receiver, he just always seems, you know, said, that's because he's one, maybe why is he running so fast? And why is he so evasive? <laughs> Man, because people dragging my, you know, that mess with your uniform. Mm-hmm. You know, I have to get that tightened. You know, sometimes to get back in the huddle, it wouldn't be time to get it <laughs> <laughs> next play. <laughs> so the way to solve that, you know, with some footwork and some great, <laughs> but anyway, suffice it to say that in growing, um, I had a lot of room. And I don't, uh, and and I was one of those people who, whether I knew it or not, had become creative because I didn't have a lot. You know, I just worked with it. It seemed as it all. It seemed like we all had a lot. My, the the cats would go with the Roxbury, but what they had was had a lot of pride. You know, and they had selfness. 
you know, they, they weren't selfish and they weren't selfless. They had selfness. So we all, I guess we cared so much about one another. We always wanted to present a cool picture. It just wasn't one cat who wanted to stand out and say, I'm the cat. Wow, I guess I, I really never even thought of this before. We were taking group snapshots. You know, we all wanted to look cool. We were more apt to say, to help a cat step up his game mm. so that we all could live together rather than have a cat just like, oh, look, I want to stand next to him because he looks like, you know, he looks next to him. I'm going to look even twice. Uh -uh. It was exactly the opposite. Matter of fact, Ooh, I, I have a picture. I, have, I think I have a picture of when I might have been maybe nine years old. We're on a, st on a stoop. Johnny Washington is in a full suit with a tie. Uh, uh, Trey Pope, whose son now, Che Pope, is actually uh, 50 Cent and uh, Jay-Z's producer. Uh, wow. uh, Google Che, C-H-E Pope, Che Vicious. C-H-E, so his dad on a step, and there's someone who, you have C-H-E Pope? Yep, he, Grammy Award-winning American hip-hop producer from Boston and the That's former awesome. president of Good Music. Okay, so I just, you know what it is? Whatever I tell you, I want you guys to be able to repeat. You know what I'm saying? I just want, that's why I'm so into, I want you to get the proof, is because <laughs> I know my life seems like... <laughs> I know you didn't do that. I, I, I just, this, you're making this shit up, right? Because <laughs> I know this is not real. So, um, but I'm, we're on the stoop, and I think I'm, everyone else, I think I'm just wearing a T-shirt. Uh, you know, one of them with, with horizontal stripes, which, you know, and we're there, and one of us is covering up the, I can't remember which one, but we're just, because one of us is not dressed as completely as the other. And even the little cats, we have each other's back. You know, so we just sort of step. I, I just, I, I'm telling you, I just, this is really interesting for me to think of it because I know internally, but rarely have I ever, if ever, said that. Mm. You know, and I think that part of dressing up and then eventually in prep school dressing down, you know, trying to, I, I really got to see boundaries. I got to see, you know, the playing field. Mm -hmm. And you know, it was a long field and it was a wide field. I didn't want to be out of bounds, but I realized you don't have to be out of bounds to be different. You can be different and still be part of the game, part of the group, part. So I, I grew up with gay cats, straight with cats of all kinds of stripes. We, man, we didn't spend five seconds judging one another. You know, we were tight, you know, and we got so tight that I remember one of my friends had a boyfriend he was really tight with, okay, it was, it was his partner. And even after they broke up, his partner, who we only knew through him, became part of, you know, <laughs> We love this cat. Somebody said, "Yeah, I know you're not, you know, you're not your boyfriend anymore, but you, you're still with us." <laughs> you know? I love it. Still, I mean, so it was, and so, and by the way, that probably helped me in the fashion world. Now that I come to think of it, see, I'm not, I'm not, I wasn't really caught. I must have given off the essence that, man, I'm good. 
You know, I can love you cats. I can hold you cats. I can hug you cats. I can kiss you cats. I'm not, you know, <laughs> you're approachable. Yeah, you know, so uh, so I so I that does it partially answer that question? Yeah, sure. At, at, at least partially. <laughs> okay. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay. Um, uh, what was the question again? We asked you. So, how did your personal style? So, kind of took us how it right. started, how it evolved. Right. So, how would you kind of describe now? I guess what what or how oh, would you describe you. your style? Well, as in the poem, I've almost gone back to where I started, do mm. you know? And it's mm -hmm. funny because I was on the phone with some Ralph Lauren people today. They were talking about, you know, the whole George Floyd thing and how they're gonna, you know, whatever. And I realized that, well, they had, they, they, they had done this thing maybe a year ago, um, Rashid, what's your closet like, you know, and this and that, and pick out your five favorites. So these guys got to see like, dude, they have a Ralph Lauren museum, you know? <laughs> In my, you know, I mean, I don't have one cashmere sweater. I have like every color cable net cashmere sweater they ever, and that's just the cab. That's just that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. And I think that I even have more appreciation for the creation of all for Ralph, for what, and he and his brother Jerry. Okay. What and Ricky and, and what they put in play and what David and some of the other people kept in play. Mm -hmm. So as I have not ceased from exploration, you know, going here and there, wearing this and that, you know, realizing at a certain point, I was already little Lord Fauntleroy. <laughs> you know, I, I was already that cat, you know, and then to go out and why are you so comfortable in Ralph? in this Ralph Lauren lifestyle, dude, you have marinated, <laughs> you know, in that stuff from jump. So it was, you know, hand meets glove type of connection. Mm, absolutely. And then to actually really, really come to some conscious understanding and appreciation at this point in my life and caring about you cats, carrying, doesn't have to be Ralph Lauren, but, but but I want you to appreciate it, for sure. But I want you cats to recreate whatever is in your mind's eye. Do you know, man? But just appreciate the stitching that goes on. Mm -hmm. things. And the people who may be making it, wherever they're making it, they take pride. And even if their job is putting buttons on, man, let me tell you something. There's a lot of pride. You know, none of this stuff is just like finished. It's not finished until it's really finished. And no one has to tell them it's finished. When you're a button maker or a buttonhole maker, you know, and let me tell you why I know this. A lot of the original jackets of Ralph Lauren did not have working cuffs. Mm -hmm. I found this place named Jonathan Taylor's down on West 38th Street. I think it's 256 West 38th. And I was do there doing something one day, probably, and I realized there was a buttonhole maker, one of these girls. We became, actually two, Inez and the other, we became tight. And I would bring, I would go to Scarsdale Heathcote Cleaners. I would have my little person prepare. In other words, separate the sleeve, prepare it for buttonhole, then take them down to two fifth to Jonathan Embroidery. It's called Jonathan Embroidery. And these, we became so tight. 
okay, and I would bring it down. These cats would hook me up, and I, you know, I always sort of unbutton. You know, I always is the way of saying, oh yeah, you know. <laughs> but also, if I have a watch or you know, I'm wearing some whatever these beads or whatever else I'm wearing, like I'm, I'm giving them some air, you know. So, um, and then, oh my God, there's a place that went out of business. And you guys would have loved this place. The place was called Tender Buttons. Tender Buttons was an iconic place in the East 60s, may have been 63rd off of Lexington. It was just a little town. The woman, Millicent, owned the townhouse. And she had, and I'm, everybody from uh, all these writers and movie stars, they would all go and get their buttons there. Because when you get, I mean, and nobody was going, oh, they were just too busy. <laughs> you know, getting their buttons straight, and as I. So on some of these, on, on every one of my jackets, which I will eventually have to give away, those buttons did not get there by mistake. Mm-hmm. Okay, the, the, every, all those buttons, of choice. there's a story behind each jacket and the choice of buttons. Dude, yeah, I will put you to sleep with the story but you wake up in the morning I'll still be talking about the buttons and on these jackets so um details attention to detail was something that I appreciated and many times I got it I was the only one who knew the detail but it was comforting and, and it, it, you know it made me feel it, it, it always made me conscious of, I must think the people I'm around are so special. I want them to get the same sense of me, you know, that we're here. Like, yeah, man, you know, I care for you cats. You know, you know how I care? Because, like, it took me a while to get all this shit together. <laughs> I wanted, you know, I wanted to give you cats some flavor. <laughs> Anyway, okay, what's the next question? <laughs> oh, I'm saying a lot of stuff that I have never said before, as you can probably hear. Uh. So I think you've given us almost a perfect transition to our next question. Uh, you've talked about kind of Ralph Lauren wanting to come and examine your wardrobe. Mm-hmm. If you were one piece from your wardrobe, what would be your favorite piece? <sighs> this is, oh man, these questions are really... It's a tough one. Um... It would be a piece of Ralph Lauren, but also uh, Basque, you know, the Basque, all of my, the Basque. But Ralph started doing some purple label stuff, and I have, a man, I have some jackets. There's one jacket with a... That question is especially hard for me, because I would have to spend the time to realize let me see if I can. Whenever I'm going to a special event, I want to have some form of tartan. Mm-hmm. Some, whether it's a vest, a tartan vest, uh, or the pants. Or I mean, I, I was at Westchester Country Club recently with my goddaughter, with Claire Hunter, you know, her, with her father. And the picture was, oh my God, I was in tartan from head to toe, except I was wearing a Ralph Lauren jacket. It has an emblem of a, it's sort of a, black, a purple label, an emblem of a person on a pony. And uh, it just simply cut mm-hmm. beautifully. And I 
especially since I like to wear tartan, I have to anchor it. You know, mm-hmm. when you're wearing, I have to anchor it with something that maybe not be tartan. You know, just I had to anchor it. And so I have so many velvet dinner jackets and smoking <laughs> jackets that, I mean, dude, I, I have three bedrooms. I live in one of them. And even in the one I live, there are two closets. <laughs> Literally, the closets. One's filled with uh, 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 just sport coats and coats with stubs and root and slippers. You know, I must have 60 pair of stubs and root and slippers there. You know, I decorate. I will send you pictures, but these pictures are not for public consumption. <laughs> I will just send you, I'll send, and, and, and Saul can flip them to you. <laughs> okay. Uh, l- later. The archives. Um, uh, and and then another bedroom is just racks, three racks of like Ralph stuff. Right. Then I have four armoires, literally, you know, burled British satin wood, whatever, full of. Okay. Then there's a, a closet where I have all of the the winter, the cashmere Ralph Lauren, you know, the the, the herringbone cashmere overcoat, belted over. Um, I, I should be embarrassed. I, I could easily have 20 or 30 of these different. And then I have Hudson Bay. I don't know if you know Hudson Bay. Hudson Bay blanket coat. You know, to, uh, you know brother has <laughs> collection <laughs> Hudson Bay material. <laughs> uh, there, there aren't enough cold days in the year. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I've had to be changing five times a day in order to give all this stuff some work, you know. <laughs> Where me? What about me? <laughs> you know, put me on. So um, I've begun to realize that looking at these clothes give me a, it gives me a type of comfort. It's, you know, some people eat comfort food and some people go, to, you know. I mean, I like to walk and read, but I also like to look at the way I've tried to arrange this clothing, because I know it will outlive me. You see, there was a time when I thought, I, I'm just living, this is fun, because I can just wear this. No, I'm 73 years old. The clothing is going to out, but the clothing will belong to other cats who hopefully care. Mm-hmm. I may give them some stuff that's a little too big for them, that's cool. Blue blouson. Wear some big stuff. You know, tie it up. Put your put your scarf around your waist. You know, and cinch yourself. But by the way, I have, I have too many scarves. Okay, with the scarves. There's a place in Great Britain, up in Cambridge, called Ryder and Amis. Okay, R Y D E R and A M I. It's on the campus of Cambridge University. Okay. I discovered these people on one of my trips to up to Great Great Britain. And they allow you, you can create your own scarf, you know, and they have different patterns, which you can have three, you know, broad lines or lines with, they should have never told me I could create my own stuff. <laughs> you didn't just make one. Like I said, I'll send you the pictures. 
I'll just leave it at that because it, 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 it would be a fool's errand for me to say anything more. Would they say a picture is worth? A thousand words. Okay. Thousand so I'll let a brother just do that. Right. Okay. Because well, yeah. and, and the joy that I got doing it and the joy that they got. So I, oh, this is, and then I know some of the stuff I did, they did. You know, in other words, some of the combinations, <laughs> they're so cute. You know, I was like, and they were like, oh, yeah, we're going to put that in, in production. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, okay. Um, so, uh, you know, just identifying little people and big people and medium-sized people involved in fashion who are really saying something. You know, they uh, may never make a trillion dollars, but they might have made a trillion people happy or a few people feel like they were worth a trillion dollars. Mm. You know, so there's a lot of different ways to get the benefits of fashion because fashion doesn't tell you how to appreciate it. You know, fashion says, man, how did I do? Make a choice. Put me with something. Put me with someone. You know, give me some choreography. Make me dance. <laughs> you know, make me smile. Yeah. Make somebody say, oh, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Another gorgeous and poetic answer. <laughs> Very well said. Oh, oh you guys goodness. asking the right question. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> I don't even think I've been friends with Rashid for maybe five, six years now. I don't even think I've seen a picture of your, your wardrobe as of right now. So I'm excited that you've promised us, I guess, some sort of access to it. Okay, let me just, okay, let me just do this. Oh, shucks, my phone. I was hoping it was the battery was dead. <laughs> <laughs> I, for a second, I was I was rooting for the dead battery. Yeah, not, that'll be the next time. Well, we've got a couple few more questions here. All right. Um, our next one. Um, so you've obviously been involved in the fashion world for quite a while. Um, you've seen kind of coming and going of different eras. What's been the biggest change that you've seen in the fashion world? And what's a change that you maybe haven't seen but would like Ooh, to see? Wow. Oh, uh, I think the biggest change is street fashion is mm -hmm. alive. I mean, it is. every it used to be that businessmen or business women or whatever would almost have a uniform that was just not distinguished and by no means different or had no means create man street you could literally go to any part of this this wherever and get a comfortable chair and go damn yeah yeah so i think the visible recognition of fashion just being ubiquitous yeah. has been what brings smile to my face and that for me is a big that for me it may be with how you catch you cats grew up in that groove i did not mm. you know folks were almost trying to be invisible when they hit the street and that flipped i mean like it you has, said earlier yeah. it's streetwear has kind of exploded with people kind of doing a lot with you know not that much and getting creative and you just like hit it yeah and mm -hmm. people have realized that they didn't have to be creative privately in front of their mirror at home mm -hmm. and then be reluctant to show people what they had done with and for themselves 
all of a sudden folks start stepping out. They start stepping out. And I think gay brothers and sisters were the, basically they were the, the, the generals and the, they led that charge. You know, it, it would almost became a situation that uh, they just cared. Mm-hmm. And I guess for certain other people, I, didn't, I never even really thought of this. It was a coming out, you know, you, because oftentimes you, what you're wearing is a preview of coming attractions. You know, it suggests that you have some flavor, Mm -hmm. you have some interest, you have some cool to you. I think the gay cats in a dance and club scene, cats, you know, took it to the club. And you just, you took it to the, you didn't just sort of get to the club and change, (laughs) you know, and then the club became the street. Because you see cats, man, a photographer could just be in heaven. Just taking pictures, because people talk about models. The real—that's the biggest change. The real, the big change for me is how many cats with different shapes and different heights and different sizes were wearing the hell out of what they were wearing. <laughs> it was like, oh shit, this cat, you know, look at this cat. This cat's like shaped like this. Oh man, I like that. <laughs> you know, so that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Because for a while there was a prototype, there was a soma type, you know, yeah. a body type, mm-hmm. and cats probably thought, if you know, I can't wear that, you know, I can't look good in that. But the cats overcame that reluctance, that hesitance, and mm-hmm. uh, so that's the biggest change. Yeah. Okay. Um, what I'd like to see happen. In the fashion world, I mean, because this now with this COVID, this this thing is you know, <laughs> this, this never is going to have to be a new normal. Yep. Mm-hmm. Because it won't be business as usual, be business as unusual, you know, going forward. Mm-hmm. I think that I would really, um, I'd like to see more cats involved in creating fashion for different age groups. Mm. I'm I'm a I'm a member of this group called uh, Hip Silver, mm-hmm. and we're focused on Silver's cats who are, because we're not dead yet, and we're going to dance till we die. <laughs> you see, I'm going to dance till I die, man. They have, to, they have to, you know, the music will be playing when they drag my ass, <laughs> and I'll be saying, and hey, don't mess up my coat. <laughs> you know? Don't be dragging me through the. You know? Brother, pick me up and put me in a chair because I want to fluff my shit. Up. <laughs> I you know, obviously like to make fun of myself, but I um, I think that uh, cats who this is this is commercially comes on TV about cats are handicapped and they you know, some cats don't have a leg, some cats through all kind, whether it's birth defects or whatever, and I can't watch that without losing it. And the commercialist, I can do the Christmas commercial says because of such and such. I can do this. There's some organizations I can do and or I can do. So this is my plan. I would like to see more fashion that could not, that would be more congruent with different shapes and sizes. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, really different. And 
I am on the board of this thing called New York Edge. And it's like an after school program for children who don't have a lot of money or whose parents don't have a lot of money, but they can do really smooth and creative things. I would like to somehow make clothing more available for those children and families who who don't have the wherewithal Mm -hmm. to wear you know to wear what they would like to to present themselves in ways that they would like to because not everybody has a creative sense enough to you shouldn't always have to just make do yeah you know because the, the irony here is that I find, this is just me, John Saul, this is just me. I find that the less people, the, the, the less people have, the more consumed they are with having it be clean. You know, that they, they just, when you don't have a lot, there are a lot of people who are washing in the evening what they're going to be wearing the next day mm-hmm. when you don't have a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wash that t-shirt, wash that, you know. And when you're in college, you guys do, you, you guys do a lot of that when you're in college. Mm-hmm. You do a lot of that. I got you know, Laundry, <laughs> laundry, and some of your roommates don't. He's like, "Oh shit, like, <laughs> dude, you, you know, do you know where the laundry is? <laughs> you know the shower, by the way. That that you know that place where you brush your teeth. I hope <laughs> you know, behind anyway. Point being, there's a whole notion of I would just like to link fashion sooner." with those folks who may not be able to have the magnet link it sooner. In different countries like in, in Africa, I don't talk about the cities in Africa, in the bush, these little, man, they hooked up with, you know, these little, the stuff, they fabric. They have all of these fabric. I don't even know where or how, but here in the city in certain parts, man, I live in Bronxville, or in Yonksville, the border of Bronx. And the other day I drove down this street, because I'd never, up the hill, and all of a sudden I was in Yonkers. I was in the heart of darkness. I'm trying to think of something in Michigan, in Detroit. Uh, do you know anything about Michigan? I know. You know, did you know, Hamtramck, you know anything about Hamtramck? It sounds, I've heard the name. Okay, it's a ghetto within a ghetto within a ghetto. I mean, okay, you have Detroit. Okay. okay. Then you have, there's a black ghetto. Then there's a Polish ghetto inside. And then inside the Polish ghetto is a black. I mean, you can't make this. Okay. Okay. Do me a favor. We just see if you can hem tremor on your little ooh-la-la. And what I'm saying is I went into a part of Yonkers where if I didn't have neighborhood essence and I would have been, man, I'd have just parked someplace and called the police, tell them to come and rescue me. Because it was the heart of darkness, just to borrow from Joseph Conrad. It was funky. What do you have, do you have for Ham Tremor? I've got the population. I've got, it just is very dense, suburban. Um, let's see, it's very diverse. That's a nice way of putting it. Polish ghetto inside a black ghetto inside a Polish ghetto. <laughs> Anyway, Detroit? Yes, yes, indeed, suburb of Detroit. Okay, and they're really fluffing it up by calling it a suburb. It's not Farmingdale Hills. What what, what is that place out in Detroit? Uh, Bloomfield Hills? uh, Scarsdale. (laughs) 
Correctamundo. <laughs> okay, it's, it's not that. Okay. Um, anyway, I don't want to turn a blind eye to young children when I know that if we could give them a little bit more to wear, they may they may change their posture into something that says a little bit more about pride. Mm. Okay, so that 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 would be. I have to hurry because I don't want Saul looks like he's getting he's nodding over here. I know he's not a drinker, so it has to do with me. <laughs> He'll be fine. Just pinch him if he looks like he's dozing. Okay. That's okay. I was just letting John know uh, about the next couple of questions. Okay, I'm, yeah. I'm teasing you. So I'll oh. be wide awake. I'm just, I'm just teasing myself. Mm. Next question. Yeah, uh, Rashid. Who are your inspirations, whether it be in fashion, in art, or just in life as a whole? Okay. Well, I can say, you know, my grandfather, for sure. My uncle, Sim. One, uh, I have two aunts, one uh, who just passed away at 97. It's her husband, Uncle Simeon Thompson, who was one of the engineers that worked out at MIT, the Lincoln Laboratory, at Lincoln Mass. He was one of my inspirations. And, you know clothing but also the way he carried himself you know in other words he the clothing wasn't wearing him he was wearing that you know mm -hmm. so my grandfather for sure uh when i on the I'm on the cover of some magazine way years ago and they asked that same question i said what are the things in your life with 300 bow ties well, i'll show you the thing later whatever no i'll mail it to you <laughs> and i put cary grant and nat king cole I just, you know, because of the way Cary Grant never seemed to be full of himself. He, see, he always remembered that he was Archibald Leach. People may have seen him, but so we, he's one of those handsome dudes who's always doing comedy. He was believable when he was doing comedy and when he was doing more serious roles. He just seemed to be at ease with himself and Nat King Cole. Nat King Cole was black as coal and as beautiful as you could, you know. I mean, I would later, as I'm you now friends with his granddaughters, actually. And, and there's a picture of my father's brother, my uncle, who was a famous actor, uh, with Nat King Cole's wife at the time. Mm -hmm. He had just done King Lear and they had gone backstage and you know, he's still in his makeup and a picture of him hugging. And I remember, th I remember thinking to myself, my uncle probably thought he was handsome as did my father and the brothers. He wasn't as handsome as Nat King Cole. <laughs> and Nat King Cole had that silky voice mm -hmm. and he played the piano, you know. And so to me, there were cats who fit into their style. It didn't, there, there was some agreement, some congruence. So it had a problem. It's Nat King Cole and Cary Grant. And how ironic it would be a quote unquote black person and a white person. Mm. Yeah, I'm, and I'm not even thinking that as I'm making the, I'm just thinking yeah, the two cats. Yeah. You know, uh, there they are. And also, I think that maybe it was the time too, because they didn't seem to have any scandals associated mm. with them. Mm -hmm. That meant a lot to me. It meant they were living it. 
You know, they weren't just, because a lot of these cats on the screen and look great, man, in their private lives, they're a mess. They're just a, what they're doing to themselves, what they're doing to other people, you know. These cats, these cats were not those cats. They were actually, if you sneaked up on them when no one was looking, they would still be attractive people. Mm. It's like an inside-out thing. You know, the first thing you might feel is their inside. So man, cat has a nice fire. Oh, it's not getting cold type of thing, you know. So th those are my guys. I think one of the things that you told me that's really stuck with me throughout the years is that it's not about how you conduct yourselves when people are watching. It's how you act when nobody oh, else. Oh, thank you. To me, who I am is the am I who, when no one, who are you? when no one is watching. Because we're all performers in a fashion, but when no one is watching, yeah. The other day, I'm at, um, I'm getting ready to speak at Chase Park in Scarsdale. And I'd gotten there early. So I was walking around the village of Scarsdale. I hadn't done that in a long time. And I was looking in this store. You know, they had some books. I was like, oh, that's crazy. The books are in this bookstore. Someone walks by and they pull my coat, the back of my coat. And I, when I turned, I thought it would be a student. It was just an older woman. And she just went, and she just nodded like that. That was, for me, that was heavy. Because <laughs> I damn sure wasn't there posing. <laughs> so that, so, I'm not even sure she could see. <laughs> you know? But she just pulled my and, and I looked at it and she turned, she went, Wow. Just And I'm saying she's an older woman. She's probably my age. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she probably, she couldn't be more than two years older than that. I mean, she was semi-ambulating. You know, she was she was making it. But to 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 feel recognition from someone who was feeling you, and even the woman who thought this was Harry Winston. <laughs> you know what I mean, I wasn't I wasn't like in her face with like you know. She just, and she thought she could do it. Harry Winston, <laughs> you know? So I think that when I am so involved in being that I could be anywhere is when I'm probably my best person. You know, when I'm so present with whom and the people I'm, you know, that the vibe is so tight that this could work anywhere. This could, I could take this to outer Mongolia. If I could feel, you know, the feeling I have right now, I could be, I could do Naked and Afraid. <laughs> I don't know if you know that program. You know, Naked and Afraid. <laughs> I think I may have gone, I think I may have given myself too much credit. <laughs> I, I'm not actually certain I could <laughs> Naked. The whole problem is that Naked, 
<laughs> can I get at least, uh, you know, a, a, a smoking jacket? <laughs> 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 you know, you know I'm just, come on, give a brother, so let a brother work with something. <laughs> anyway, I, okay. So that, John, what, what is your next question, John? <laughs> <laughs> what is one piece of advice that you would give to your younger self? Man, you all need to go into the question business. <laughs> We're trying to. I mean, you can't you can need to get a little book. You get you know, you get a publisher, man, just call it questions. You know, the mind the answers. <laughs> Whoa. Ooh. I haven't told you about the rougher part of my growing up, and I'm not going to do that now. At some point when we're together and all this stuff recedes or calms down, We'll hit it and we won't quit it. I mean, you know, you cats will tell me about your stuff because I'll be as curious as you are about me. I'll be curious about how you care, you know, and you too saw, you know, just more um, advice. Okay. The advice would sort of be, it would sound like this. Keep loving your friends. This is good practice. Because this practice, oh, sure. Keep loving your friends because practice doesn't necessarily make perfect, but practice can make permanent. In other words, man, have it in the very system of your being that people have worth. People have worth. I don't know that I judged a lot, but of course I must have judged. But the best part of me, when I would rather overestimate someone's worth than underestimate it, you know, fine. Um, I'm the victim of, you know, of expectation. I'll take the hit. But I don't want to assume or presume that someone's not worth my time. Because time, that's the currency of mm -hmm. truth. You know, I mean, it's not so much money, but how much time, if someone calls you, I'm talking to my ex-wife now, okay, where we almost talk every day. And at one point, she wrote something in an email. And she said, I knew you would come to rescue me. And there's nothing wrong with, visibly with her life. But it must mean something. And it definitely connected. You know. And when you know a little bit more later when about my life, you'll know why. I think the one thing, okay, the advice I would have given myself, grow into a hero. Keep on paying attention to the little things, Rashid. Keep on paying attention to the little things. Keep on, you know, sometimes it's what people are not saying that they're communicating. Pay attention and, hey man, work to be, be a hero, I think. And I may not have known what that meant, but that would have been the advice I would have given myself.
Because that's a, it's a, a hit. oh my God. In my prep school yearbook. Oh, man, this, you guys are amazing. I haven't talked about this since 1967. <laughs> In my prep school yearbook. It has, you know, you always have, it has this and that, and it has aspirational occupant, what you want to be. And, you know, Ellie's cat's president, <laughs> senator. I put philanthropist. I didn't know who would read it. I just wanted to feel that way about where I was going. Philanthropy. I mean, you see the cat next to me is president. You know. and, and by the way, going the game. It's just that for me, that was a very private moment. And it was an opportunity like you cats are giving me. Say, okay, man, what are you going to do with all this? This little opportunity, what are you going to do with this? What are you going to do with this? What's going to be the currency that turns you into someone you like? So that's that, that, um, I guess, yeah, that's, 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 I, I can't say any more about that without, because <laughs> that, that is so personal. I can't even believe. Oh, my goodness. That was poetic. Yeah, I cried a bit. I'm I'm not on camera. John is on Facetime right now with Rashid. That was that was beautiful. Background. Wow, wow. Do you guys have another question? You know, I'm 73 years old. I can't, can't be strong. We've got two home. more. We've got okay. two more. Our, our penultimate question: What words of wisdom do you have for our audience regarding maybe fashion, life, or anything else you can think of? Well, John, for me. I mean, you asked a question that's deep in my heart, and I can, and my heart is open right now, so I can tell you exactly what that is. There's a 13th century Persian poet, goes by the name of Rumi, R-U-M-I. And he said something, who knows how many years ago, that I would share in an instant. And it's this, somewhere between all that's right and all that's wrong, there is a garden. I will meet you there. Between, so, between all that's right and all that's wrong. Beyond all that's right and all that's wrong. Beyond, there is a garden. Not between. You guys, thank you for giving me a moment to correct it. Thanks, guys. It's beyond all that's right and all that's wrong. There is a garden. I will meet you there. So I have found that one of the things why people can't talk is that, you know, if you have two different points of view, cat's not listening. You know, they're talking at one. But if you can just get to that garden, And I, it's almost like a teleological leap of faith is in Soren Kierkegaard's written a book, you know, Fair and Trembling. And he encourages us all to be knights of faith and to take a teleological leap. Sometimes it seems unreasonable that you should get that air, get that elevation. But sometimes you have to jump over shit. And sometimes you should have to jump over your own shit. <laughs> you know, you have to jump over your 
own about me about you have to jump over that take a leap of faith you may not know i mean maybe it's not terra firma that's why they called it faith you take a leap and if you are serious enough about investigating the landscape and caring for other people and seeing you know things beyond your own extremity then you can get to that telos, you know, that teleological, that, that, that space where you really do become enlightened and, you know, unfrightened. You know, because so much of life is being afraid or reluctant to do this. That, that's uncertainty. But when you are truly enlightened, You are no longer frightened. Because you realize, man, listen, I'm just trying to do the right thing. <laughs> How bad could that be? <laughs> and why don't I get started? Why am I reluctant <laughs> to do the right thing or a good thing? <laughs> man, take that leap of faith. Yeah, well, that's Kierkegaard. I believe a Danish brother, Soren, S-O-R-E-N, I believe there's an umlaut over his O, <laughs> Soren. But you can, you can check that. <laughs> you can check So that's, Rumi would be that, beyond all that's right and all that's wrong, goes according, yeah. And what was that next question? So yeah, we've got one more question for you, Rashid. We ask this to all of our all of our guests. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's become quite a staple of the Pair of Kings podcast. <laughs> um, John's laughing already. It is <laughs> debatably our heaviest hitting question, uh, one that tells more about any of our guests than we think any of the questions we could have mm-hmm. asked you previously. Mm-hmm. Um, in depth, it's had people cry, it's had people laugh, without too much lead up. So Rashid. If you had a year to eat a wooden door, doorknob and hinges included, do you think you could do it? If I had a year to... Eat a wooden door. To make a wooden door. No, no, no. Eat. Consume. Hinges and doorknob included, do you think you could do it? And if so, how would you do it? If I were brave enough to imagine myself in a jungle or in a forest, I would first watch the woodpeckers and I'd watch the animals that live amongst wood, how it protects them, how they use it, you know, just why it must taste so good to them. I would watch the bugs and probably I would look for the sap. Now, this door is man-made, I take it. It is, yes. It's got no toxic paint or anything. It's just a solid wooden door with a doorknob and hinges. Yeah. I probably wouldn't even think about starting that. I would think about sitting on that door and trying to be as still as possible so that I could become that door. Okay. So that I could enter that door. Whether I don't know whether the door is here 
or whether, but I would try to put the door someplace. I would sleep on the door. I would eat on. I would almost try to sequester myself in the neighborhood of that door, and it, until it didn't become a door any longer, it became part of my skin, because I don't know whether if if given that task, the way I'm built, I'm going to immediately think it's a metaphor. <laughs> I'm just saying that's the way I'm built. I'm going to immediately say it's not an actual task. It's a spiritual opportunity. That's just the, that's the way I'm built. Yeah. And eating would not be consuming or mastigating or swallowing. Eating would be letting this door tell me, tell, would tell me where you started. You, you weren't born as a door. Oh, you, you meddle, you, you were born in the earth. That's time and pressure makes metal. Tell me, just whisper to me where, where you came from. I, do you think about your relatives? Do you even think, I mean, do you know this place? What is this place? And I wouldn't be saying this aloud, but I would be hoping that in the middle of the night, my dreams would eventually have commerce with the door. You know, I would begin to, and it's a year's time. What's the rush? What's the rush? You know, I'm not looking to make this stuff happen overnight. And I realized there would probably be discomfort when you're that sleeping on a door, being with the, that's not the most comfortable, but that's part of it. Because at a certain point, you learn how to be with that door. You, oh, your body does. So it would be a metaphor for me. I pity the cats who would start to munch on that door. <laughs> I, I would probably be the guy, like if we were you know, like two cats with the same charge, you know, I'd probably have to tap that brother. I said, man, hey, man, that's not going to be good for you. Know, <laughs> that year that you got, <laughs> You're not gonna make it. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna be burying your ass, you know, like in a month, if, if that, but all the splinters and shit get in your system. You know, they say, let me, I need to calm down. <laughs> uh, it, 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 it's, it would be a very, very meaningful metaphor for me. I would not take that lightly. That's the most important part of what I'm saying. I would not take that lightly. You know, and I would try to honor the opportunity because uh, I would not have come up with that idea on my own. So I would probably grow in ways that I could not have expected. Okay, guys, that's that's the ultimate truth of it for me. Okay. You wanted me to eat that door, didn't you? <laughs> it's not going to happen. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we're talking about I would like get dressed up, right? Knives and forks, nice setting, you know, English tea cups. You know, condiments going to make that door palatable. I'm just saying, it'd be the wildest mustard in the world. I'm not happy. Let me stop. Okay. You cats done with me, man? We're just about there. But before we, before we, wrap things up i just want to say i think you are the most interesting person i've ever had the pleasure of speaking to 
Man, God, God bless you, child. You got, you got that smile, man. You got that smile. That smile is a tell me the truth smile. So, you know, it doesn't happen unless there's a, I call it a, an organized natural recipe. And that's what this is. I appreciate that. We put this in the oven. This is going to taste good. <laughs> Better than door. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> oh, man. Look at oh, oh, man. I didn't even drink my... Look at this. I didn't even drink this drink. Okay, well, this is... That's when you know it's getting good. You forget about it. You know... So before we let you go, Rashid, we are an audio podcast. So before we let you go, we're going to ask you for your song of the week. It's something that you've just been listening to and enjoying. Um, Rashid Silvera, what is your song of the week? I've been listening to the OJ's uh, album. I just love whatever they do. You know, there's a song that's called Help. Mm -hmm. Help. So, so you try to get the OJ's help. It's just mm -hmm. I've been I've been down with that, and you can see. I would clearly be the cat who would be listening to a song like Help. And I want to be the cat that comes to your rescue. You know, that, that type of. So I love the OJs, Eddie Levert, uh, Sammy Strain, and the original brother, and then Walt Williams. I love these cats. So I listen to it, man, I'm in the car, and I'm feeling it. And I can't play it enough. You know, it just doesn't get old for me. Just call help. So you caps. The OJs. John, what about you? What's your uh, song of the week for this Thursday episode? Well, it's it's getting nice here in Michigan. I think it was in the mid '80s today. So in my mind, it's summer. <laughs> um, I always associate summer with the music of James Taylor. That's where I spent a lot of my best moments as a child was up on beaver island michigan it's a secluded island in northern michigan listening to a lot of cat stevens and james taylor so i've got to give it to you've got a friend by james taylor beautiful song and it just puts a smile on my face every time i hear it god bless you, you know where james taylor is where, where, from where he hailed i don't want to understand with the proposition but you know where he's from i actually don't it's new england it's that it's that boston piece it's that it's that Martha's Vineyard. It's it, you know, it's it's so you are so we're talking about beaver. I, I mean it's crazy that that vibe yeah. comes from just do me a favor. We look at look right now at, at Taylor. Let's see where see where he's from. Alrighty. Boston, Massachusetts. I'm just saying, but but it's the part of but so I mean, hey dimples, I'm, I'm gonna call you dimples now. <laughs> it you see how congruent that is with being on a freak. His yeah. music is marinated in, in water and that mm -hmm. type of peace. So I just wanted to give you that. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> okay. okay. Um, and you know, Cat Stevens has another name, right? Yusuf. Look at you. Look at you. <laughs> okay, okay, just checking. <laughs> Chickity checking. Okay, what about my, my, my son over here? By the uh, way, you, you know I call Saul my son. You know that, right? Is that right? You, you haven't told anybody. So I'm the only person who knows I'm your father. <laughs> I've told, I've told I'm the just podcast a couple of times. This dude. is amazing. This is, I'm finding, this is the first time I'm finding this out. I thought this was like public knowledge. All right, man, go ahead and talk to your brother. <laughs> um, so with we just started our second season of our podcast, and I've made a resolution to suggest more women artists. 
Um, I was feeling that we had a, a lack. Um, so my song of the week is Ain't No Way by Aretha Franklin. Um, it is a amazing song. I don't know quite what else I can say about it without spoiling it, but uh, it's incredible. Okay. Because there is zero degrees of separation, go right now to Aretha Franklin and go to her second husband, not Glenn Turman, go to her, say, this is too, I'm gonna call him tonight. Okay, wait, I'm just saying, go to her second, no, I'm just saying, this is too, I mean, it's okay, let's go. Oh, wait a minute, other people are, uh, okay. That's Hassan's bed when he's, when he's sleeping in my house. <laughs> I made a bed for him. You don't need to see it. I made a bed for him. Anyway, point being, um, this is in a book that he that he made about, he called it Chip. He used to call me Chips, as in Mr. Chips. He used to call me Chips, and he made this book. He had my house took pictures. And in somewhere in the book, he has his whole name and what his name used to be. You know, but I just don't. And I don't, I need to let you cats go. You guys have been so freaking uh, kind and 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 attentive you know Rashid it's been such a pleasure okay. getting to meet you I mean, uh, I'll uh, and I, 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 I saved myself from calling Hassan right now <laughs> who man who gonna call somebody you know what was your name when you were married to Aretha <laughs> I mean I and, I and the truth of the matter is I should know this mm. you know it's just that I got a lot of stuff in my head you know, I got a lot of stuff. I got a lot of stuff because I'm reading like nonstop. I got a lot of stuff in my head. So I just, you know. So, John, fantastic Soft. episode. Thank you again so much to Rashid for joining us. John, do you thank want to you so much. Hey, Dimples. Right on. Right. Okay. okay. I would love the Dimples have been showing this entire episode. I've been smiling nonstop talking to Rashid. So, Rashid, once again, thank you so much for joining us this evening. Thank you, Saul, for orchestrating this. And folks, this has been Pair of Kings Podcast, where we are bringing you business as usual, tomfoolery as planned. Have a great Thursday. Beautiful. Have a great Thursday. All right. Likewise. Take care, guys. Thank you, Dimples. Take care, baby. <laughs>